everyone? It's good to see everybody's faces this morning. It's good to uh, have uh, those joining us remotely from Facebook Live. Put that there. Seems like uh, we're rushing this morning, and it's all new to us. So let's let's just pause in a moment and let's ask the Lord's blessing this morning. Our Lord and Father, we uh, we thank you, Lord, for the fellowship we have in Christ. Lord, we thank you that that even though we had this hiatus of not being together in person, Lord, we still were able to come together before your throne, before your presence, and praise and worship your name and who you are. Lord, it is a joy to be with your people this morning. Lord, we ask your blessing upon your word as it is read. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would move in the hearts of all both those who are present but and those who are joining us remotely, Lord. Father, we ask your blessing upon this, this meeting, Lord. I ask all these things in your son's precious name, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Now, as our brother Mike um, said, we are beginning a new series starting today in the book of the Acts. So turn with me to the book of the Acts. And I will do my best to end at 11.30 in the will of the Lord. I know everybody's dying to have a little fellowship, so I don't want to deprive anybody of fellowship. We all seem to be a little hungry for it this morning. So, Acts chapter 1, let's read the, the chapter in its entirety, and then I'm going to go over some uh, introductions to, the, uh, to the, the book of the Acts, and then we're going to see how far we, we were able to cover Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit, he, uh, after he through the Holy Spirit had commanded to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by, uh, by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of, his, out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly, steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And in those days, Peter, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. And said, men and brethren, this scripture had, had, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of his iniquity, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the, in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of, the, of, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us in his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph, uh, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show, uh, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, which Judas has transgressed, which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lot, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word this morning. I know that was a lot of reading, but His Word does not return void, and we thank Him for that truth. So, before we delve into this chapter and, 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 and discuss some of the, the applications and some of these principles that we find in chapter 1, I do want to give you an overall introduction to the book of Acts, as we're going to be in the book of Acts here through the summer and into the fall and potentially almost into Christmas time. It's a, it's a, it's a big book and it's a lofty book, but it's a wonderful book. I, I will say this. If we did not have the book of the Acts of the Apostles, I think we would be a little lost. If all we had were the four Gospels of Jesus Christ, all that He, 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 he did and taught, and then all that we had was the epistles of, of Paul and James and Peter and the revelation of Jesus Christ written by John, we would be a little bit lost. And you may say, why? Well, 
all the rich doctrine and principles and things that we see in the epistles, we see they're lived out by the apostles and the believers in the book of Acts. The, 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 the names that we read in the epistles, the places that we read in the epistles, are all connected in the book of Acts. The, the book of Acts is like a bridge between the gospel and the church. Some would say it's a bridge between the Old Testament government and the New Testament government. Between the Old Testament and the church. It bridges the gap. It connects the dot for us, so it is incredibly important to us. Now, with that being said, the name of the book, the Acts of the Apostles, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about with the name of the book. It says it's called the Acts of the Apostles. When you look at and you read the entire book, you read and you find out that the majority of the book is about predominantly two people, two apostles. It's Peter and it's Paul. And yet it says it's the Acts of the Apostles. And so, you know, scholars far smarter than I am would say, well, maybe it should be called Acts of the Holy Spirit. Or, 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 or actually, technically, it's Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Or it could be called the Acts of God the Father by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit by his, through His Apostles. And you say, well, that, that's, a, that's quite a lengthy title. And, and the reality is that all those things are true. God is sovereign in this book. God the Father reigns and God the Father is sovereign in all that happens in the book of Acts. And it is all through Jesus Christ. We began this, this very chapter. It says here, here the writer would say all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. It's the book of Acts is nothing but a continuation of what Jesus began both to do and to teach. But yet we also see that it is the Holy Spirit that moves the disciples, moves the apostles, moves his, his, his church from one place to the other to redeem lost souls. <clears throat> so what's the final verdict? What should it be called? Well, if you ask my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I actually like the Acts of the Apostles. And even though all that I said is true, and it is true, I think the, the, the acts of the apostles are incredibly important because we, flawed individuals, can see how the apostles and the new church that is born here, how they traversed and they walked in the Spirit of God and in the will of God. And so one of the important factors that we need to learn as we study this book is to look and to see how these men Mere men reacted. <coughs> Excuse me. Can I get a glass of water? My throat's getting a little dry here. Thank you, Andrew. And so the Acts of the Apostles is a good title. It's a title in which we need... To, oh, thank you, brother. You have a dry preacher up here. I apologize. That joke always gets a chuckle. I don't know why. And everybody says it. So the Acts of the Apostles. Now, let, let me move on because time is, is short. Authorship. Now, for authorship, um, we don't have it here per se. It, it, it's Luke, right? The, the, uh, the church tradition and, and uh, the scholars would say it is Luke who wrote the book of Acts. Now, 
we, we, we can see that ourselves and get an idea of it by simply turning to the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, it begins very similarly. The Gospel of Luke begins this way. It says, Inasmuch and as many as have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been uh, fulfilled among us, speaking of Jesus, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to them. And now this is Luke. It says, it seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all these things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent, Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. So I hope you got the common word there or the name in both those introductions, right? Here, Luke is writing to this man called Theophilus. And in the, in the Gospel of Luke, he took the time, hey, listen, he said, listen, I have an understanding of all that happened from the beginning to the end of all the things that happened concerning Jesus. And, and listen, I'm going to sit it down and I'm going to write an orderly account so that you may know, that you may know that, that your understanding and your belief in Jesus is not rooted upon fables or men's traditions, but it is rooted upon fact and truth and evidence. And so here in the book of Acts, we have the same person, don't we? And he says, the former account that I made, what is the former account? Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, before I move on, the authorship, I do want to stop, pause, and, and, and talk to you a little bit about that name, Theophilus. Now, we, we don't have the name Theophilus anywhere else in the scripture outside of Acts and Luke. Uh, we don't really even have much about him in church history. So we don't really know who this person is. Now, uh, church history would say that Luke originated from Antioch. And, and one more a very important fact also, by the way, is that Luke was a Gentile. Luke was a Gentile. Luke was not a Jew. He was not even a, a Samaritan or a half a Jew. Luke was a Gentile completely. Luke was a doctor and a historian. And so here you have Luke writing an account for this man, Theophilus. Now, I, I do want to highlight certain things, right? Number one, in, in the Gospel of Luke, he calls Theophilus most excellent Theophilus. And you say, well, maybe he's just being kind. Well, I would, I would say to you that there's a little more significance than, than just his kindness. It, it, even, in fact, in the, in the book of the Acts, later on, uh, probably in chapter 20 or so, uh, or beyond that, I'm sorry, when Paul is before Festus or Agrippa, do you know what the title is for Festus? They say, Oh, most excellent Festus. Oh, most excellent Agrippa. Which would denote what? A person of position. A person of honor, a person of great influence in society. So Theophilus very might, more likely could have been a governor of Antioch or a, place, a person who's high in government in Antioch. Now, we don't know for, for sure, but I, we, can, we can draw an opinion there, right? And, and be on safe ground. Theophilus was a, an important individual. And he, by the way, just by the name, Theophilus... He was probably Greek, another Gentile. And so I highlight these things to point out the fact that Luke, a Gentile, 
set it upon himself by the Holy Spirit to write an accurate account of the things that happened. And he's sending it to his friend who is in a place of authority, who is a Gentile. And I, and I highlight it because you're going to see that in the writing of Luke, Luke's very specific and he gives very specific details. Details that Jews necessarily wouldn't write because it's just common knowledge. In fact, we, we see one in this very chapter. In, in verse 12, he says, uh, when, when he ascended, he says that they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey. Now, if you tell if you tell a Jew who lives in Jerusalem, hey, listen, they were in Olivet, and they went back to Jerusalem, and it was a close walk. Well, we know it's a close walk. Every Jew knows that Olivet, is, you, go, you go down the Kidron Valley, you go up, and there you are in the Garden of Gethsemane in the Mount of Olivet. It's about a half a mile walk. Every Jew knows that. But you know who doesn't know that? The ignorant Gentiles don't know that. And so, and so Luke writes his, his, his epistle, or, or I'm sorry, the gospel and the, and the book of Acts with that light. He, he highlights details for us ignorant folk. And I appreciate that. I really do. Now, I've said enough about Luke. Let's talk a little bit about, about the, the breakdown of the, the book itself. There's a couple of different ways in which the book itself could be broken down. Um, but I'm going to give you what, what I believe is the best one. In, uh, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we have the, the, the main verse, I believe, of the entire book. And the entire book can be broken down by verse number 8. Verse number 8 says, But you shall receive power when, uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And the entire book will be dealing with the, this very verse. Number one, it'll be dealing with the fact of the power and the Holy Spirit which comes upon them. And it'll be concerning their witness. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so, I will give you the simple breakdown if you want to write it down. We have the account of the witness of the apostles with the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem from Acts chapter 1 all the way to Acts chapter 7. You have, we have their witness in, in Judea and in Samaria from Acts chapter 8 through Acts chapter 9 verse 31. And then we have the witness of the, the apostles beyond Samaria into the utter parts of the earth to the ends of the earth from Acts chapter 9 verse 32 beyond to all the way to the end of the, of the book, which is chapter 28. And so the book can be broken down geographically as the gospel, as the good news of Jesus Christ goes from one place to the other. Now, one more introduction uh, uh, before I move on to the actual context of this passage. The major themes of this book. Now this I do want, I want you to, 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 to make a mental note. Because as we go through this book, I want you to, to notice when these themes come up. Because they're, they're incredibly important. They're, 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 they're important to the Christian. Number one, there's, there's a total of, of uh, four. The first and the, and the primary is the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will tell you, every time one of the apostles gets up and preaches in this book, you know what's in it? The resurrection. The only exception would be Stephen. When Stephen got up and began to preach, and he, and he began to preach that, to that mob, before he can get to the resurrection, they picked up stones to stone him. And I would say, actually, technically, the resurrection is there because as, as he looks up to heaven and cries out to 
<laughs> cries out to the Lord for, to forgive these men who were about to kill him, he sees what? He sees the resurrected Christ standing up at the right hand of God. The resurrection. The resurrection is very important. Secondly, the Holy Spirit. The power. The Holy Spirit. We're going to spend some time talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. But the Holy Spirit is a major theme. Without the Holy Spirit, His church, His people are powerless. They are powerless. The second, or the third important point. Witness. Witness. Testimony. We see that in this chapter as well. You'll see that it is, it is the responsibility of both the apostles, the believers, to be witnesses, testimony to those who are around them. To testify that Jesus Christ both came to earth, lived, died, was crucified, and rose again and sits at the right hand of God. They were to be witnesses, testimony. And lastly, very important one, prayer. Prayer. I, and, and I say this, I say this with, 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 a, with a humbled heart. Because if you begin to look at the book of Acts, and, I, and I'll spend a little more time on this one because it's an important point. Listen, when you begin to read the book of Acts, I want you to notate every time they sit down and they pray. They gather together and they pray. You know, one of the most amazing things about this book is to see the effectual prayer of the saints. I, I did just a, a cursory uh, uh, trace through the book. I counted 17 times in which God's people got together and prayed. And God moved. And God acted. They got together and prayed. And God performed the miracle. I say that because it, it should be a reproach to, the, to our heart and to the church in America today. Sometimes we look at our churches and we say we are powerless. We don't see God moving in a mighty way. And I would say to you, maybe that's because we're not together in one accord in prayer, pleading with our Lord. So those are the four major themes. Let's get into our passage. So the, this chapter, chapter 1, there, there's just a, an immense a wealth of knowledge in this chapter, uh, so much that I, I, I don't feel I could do justice to it. But I, I will give you a simple breakdown, and I'm gonna, we're going to hit some of these highlights, and hopefully your heart will be blessed as my heart was blessed. But I, I, I'm going to break down this chapter into two sections. Of verses 1 to verse 11, you have the equipping of the disciples for the work that's ahead of them. The equipping of the disciples for the work that is ahead of them. And then verses 12 on to the, to the end of the chapter is concerning the death of Judas and his replacement. The death of Judas and his replacement. Now, I don't think we're going to get to the second half, so I would tell you please join the small groups tomorrow night and we'll cover that in more detail because I just don't see ourselves actually getting there. So, the Lord equips His people for the work that's ahead of them. 
And so we, we begin to read here in this very first couple of verses that the Lord is here. It says uh, in verse number three, it says to whom he uh, also printed himself alive after his suffering with many infallible proofs being seen by them for 40 days and speaking them uh, speaking uh, of the of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, my first point is this. He first had to instruct them in the right message. He first had to instruct them concerning the gospel. You see, remember, we began this, we began this chapter saying, hey, Luke's writing says, all that Jesus being had both to do and to teach. Now it's going to transition over to the, to the apostles. And they're going to continue to do all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And in order, in order for you to do and to teach, you have to have the right message. And so for 40 days after the resurrection, and, and you could read the, the accounts of the gospels of, of, of the different events and the different accounts of his resurrection, but he appeared to different people at different times, at different groups, different sizes, and he taught them concerning the kingdom of God. Now you may say, well, why is that so important? Well, if any person who calls himself a Christian has it the wrong gospel, has the wrong message from God, the Bible calls him anathema, cursed. The apostles, even though they were with Jesus for three years, up and down from Galilee to Jerusalem, their understanding wasn't made perfect. It wasn't made perfect until the Holy Spirit would come. And so the Lord would take it upon Himself for 40 days to speak to them pertaining the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is very important, right? Uh, John 3.3, 3, we, we quote it, we, we, used to, well, we used to quote it every Sunday here. Right? What, what, is it, what, what does John 3.3 3 say? Let's say it all together. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Thank you for that. The kingdom of God has to do with his gospel. And so he instructed them concerning his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, and the work that they were supposed to carry out. We see in chapter 2, our brother, our brother Brian is going to cover it next week, that Peter finally stands up, the one who cowered away, who ran away from the Lord would stand up boldly and preach the gospel, the gospel of forgiveness to the very ones who crucified him. And so we see the first thing he does, he equips them. He instructs them concerning his message. The second thing he does, he gives them confidence, confidence concerning his resurrection. Now, the Lord could have rose from the dead, left the tomb empty, and gone up to the Father. And, 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 and I guess that would have been okay. But, but He chose to remain, and he, he abided on the earth for 40 days, and, and, and He appeared to two guys walking to Emmaus. He appeared to, to, to the disciples in the upper room with all the doors and windows shut in. He appeared to, 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 to women For the sole reason that the ones who are witnesses, the one whom God said are to be witnesses 
could speak beyond a shadow of a doubt of the fact that he rose again. And so when it says infallible proofs, well, one of the things that I, I found uh, joyous to do, right? You think about this phrase, infallible truths. And, and yes, we, we, can, we, can, we can do the scholarly route and, and read all these books and, and, and both, both in biblical history and extra-biblical history, we can see all the infallible truths of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I'm a simple person. I'm a bit dumb. So I just want to look at what Luke, what the Holy Spirit through Luke penned down and left for us as far as infallible truths. Now, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna have you turn to it, but, but if you were, turn, were to turn to Luke and you would see the account of the resurrection, you, you, you have very unique details which I find amazing. Number one, you, you, you read the story of the two men walking to Emmaus and, and there Jesus appears to him and, and walks next to him and begins to have this, this discourse with them and chatting with them and they were oblivious who he was. But when he does finally uh, give thanks for the bread, they realize, their eyes are open, they realize who he is. And, and, and he had taught them how the, the Messiah had to suffer, uh, and beginning from Moses all the way through the prophets. It says that our hearts burned within them. They, 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 even though it was evening, they got up and they ran and went all the way back to Jerusalem to the disciples. And when he got to the disciples, it says that they were all upstairs and they were saying what had happened. And there Jesus appeared. And you know what it said? Disciples couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. They were terrified. And the Lord says, and I love the details. He says, says, hey, it's me. Look at me. Look at, you see, you see the holes? I'm not a, I'm not a a fiction of imagination. Look at the, say, touch me. It's not a vision. It's not a dream. You're not hallucinating. Come touch me. He goes one step further and he says, hey, do you have anything to eat? Oh, we have a little broiled fish and some honeycomb. Bring it. And he sat down and he ate. The same Jesus who was just crucified, who died on a cross, who was put into a tomb, is now sitting in the room. I can touch him. I can handle him. My mind goes to, to the epistle of John, doesn't he? They handled the Lord. They have firsthand experience. They can handle and testify to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so, in, in the account of Luke, after all this, after, in the account of Luke, it says, after he ascended, it says that they, they worshipped and rejoiced, and they spent time in the synagogue praising God. We don't see that so much in the book of Acts. But I, I, I can see that, that the crowd that was gathered together, at first we read about the 12 disciples and a couple women and the brothers of Jesus. But then later on you read that, oh, there was about 120 of them now gathered. And, and, and the, the truth of his resurrection was gathering people to himself. Infallible truths. They could not deny it. And I imagine they were probably eager to go and to tell people and to share with people but the Lord says, no, listen, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want you to wait. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So we talked about the instruction. We talked about the confidence that he gave them. And then, and this is, this is, this is I guess, will be my last point. He gave them the proper power. The proper power. 
He asked them to remain in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father. Now, I, I find it interesting, right? In this, in these verses, right? He says, he says, I want you to remain in Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the, the, the subject matter in these, in these sentences, it was talking about the Holy Spirit. Right? But first we have, the Holy Spirit was a promise of the Father. Interesting. You know, that, that, that kind of got my mind thinking. Well, wh- where do we see the, the promise of the Holy Spirit? In fact, I, I even went back to Luke in chapter 24. And, and, and in that account, he actually tells them, hey, listen, stay in Jerusalem and wait from the promise of the Father. There's that phrase again. Where is the Holy Spirit promised by the Father? Well, there's actually quite a, quite a number of different places. Uh, in, in Ezekiel 36, 27, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. In Joel chapter 2, verse 29, it says, I will pour out my spirit in those days and, and, and so on. You see, the Father promised the spirit to be poured upon his people. And the Lord says himself, I also told you. Now you have God the Father and you have the God the Son say, I also told you. Well, when did Jesus say anything about the the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, let me just uh, bring some of them to your mind. In, in John chapter 7, uh, he says, uh, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whose, uh, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And I can continue in, in John chapter 16 and so on. Uh, we have the Helper. This helper that was going to come, he, said, it, it would, it, he says to his disciples, it's a, it's a benefit for you, for me to go away. For when I go away, he says, I will send the helper. And you know what the helper does? The helper through your preaching, through your testimony, through your words, is going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The, 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 the Spirit is the power. The Spirit is what enables the church to grow. Without the Spirit, we are powerless. You know, one thing I do want to point out in verse 5, because there is some confusion about this. It says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, is that a statement? Is that a conditional statement? Or is that, um, or is that a fact? Right? What was, was the baptism of the Holy Spirit a conditional event? Meaning if they prayed enough, if they tried enough, maybe they would get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, the sentence is very clear. It's, it's a fact. He says, listen, I want you to remain in Jerusalem. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. It's a fact. And the reason I bring this up, there are circles in Christianity who would sit there and say, oh, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Have you prayed and, 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 and traversed with the Lord and been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Listen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to a believer it's not conditional. It's a promise. It's a fact. 
I would, I would simply draw your mind uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a good one. It says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is to all believers when they believe. Which brings me to the, my, my, my main point here. The Spirit being the power of the believer is endowed to every single true believer. Do we know that? Do we, do we live in such a way? First uh, Corinthians says, oh, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, th- that, that truth should, should pervade in our lives in so many different facets. Number one, it speaks to my heart because I am sheepish. I am a coward when it comes to talking to people, being a witness to our Lord. Is it, is it, is it, is it my intellect and my feeble words that are going to save anybody? Anybody? No. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts of sins. It is the Holy Spirit that, 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 that quickens and wakens, wakens dead people unto life. Secondly, if we are walking around with the the third person of the Trinity, are we cognizant of where we're taking them? Of what we're doing? Of what we're watching? Lord, help us. Lord, help us. The power of the Holy Spirit. I, 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 I wouldn't want to leave you with this verse here. Actually, I'm sorry. That's a lie. I have one more point after this. The power of the Holy Spirit. I want to draw your mind to Ephesians chapter 3. It says this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse, verse, verse 16. It says this. That he... This is a prayer of Paul for the church of Ephesians. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Holy Spirit in the inner man. Now I'm going to pause there. Now let's consider that prayer. It says that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Holy Spirit in the inner man. Where does the Holy Spirit work? It works in the inner man. Let's continue. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passeth all understanding, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, I don't know about you, but those, those last three verses, I want that for myself. For me to understand the love of Christ... Both the depth, the width, the height, and the length. How do we understand these things? It is through the Holy Spirit. Moreover, I, I, I was reminded of Mike's message uh, back in December when we were talking about the, the, about love. We talked about what, what, it, what does it really mean to love? It, it's more than just empty platitudes. It has to come from the inside. 
And the truth is, if we all sat there and we analyzed our own lives and our own hearts, said, do we really love as Christ loved? Well, no, we don't. Well, then how is it that we will love as Christ loved? Well, I will tell you through this passage, it is through the Spirit of God. I cannot love people the way God loves people, but I can through His Spirit. If I would just simply heed to His Word and abide in His presence, He will change the inner man to love. Now, the last point I do want to leave you with, because we're out of time, you have this question of the, of the apostles. He, he says, the question of the apostles says this, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, there's a lot of different commentaries with a lot of different views uh, about that verse. Whether, whether they're, they're being selfish, whether, whether they should have asked a question or not, I, I, the, the scripture does not malign them, so I, I don't think we should malign them either. I, I think the, the question that was asked by the disciples is an intelligent question. He says he, he, he sat with them for 40 days and, and equipped them and instructed them concerning the kingdom of God. And he says, listen, I want you to wait for the, for the coming down of the Holy Spirit. And I quoted to you verses from Ezekiel and Joel about, about God, God the Father's promise that he was going to pour his spirit upon man. You know what those prophecies are concerning? The kingdom of Israel. So I, I don't think their question was unwarranted. I think their question was very much warranted. And so they asked. And now if, this, if their question was completely off base, I think the Lord would have corrected them. The Lord would have even rebuked them, but the Lord didn't. The Lord simply just refocuses them and says, listen, it's not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has authority over. And that, that, that this is my last point. And, and it's this doctrine of eminency. To the apostles, the, 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 the doctrine of, of the, the rapture, the return of Jesus Christ was not necessarily revealed to them. But the promise of the coming kingdom, of the Messiah coming and reigning upon earth was very much in their heart. And the Lord could have said, hey, listen, it's going to happen 2,000 plus years from now. No, he, he chose not to. He left it blank. And you say, you say, well, why? Well, I think it's a good thing. Because every day of, of, of a believer's life should be lived in anticipation for what God is doing and what God is going to do. Now, here we're talking about the earthly kingdom of Israel and God's promises to Abraham and his people. But to you and I, we have a promise too, don't we? We have the coming of Jesus Christ for his people. And we will meet him in the air. And we have that promise. And we should live our lives with such a hope. It should dictate how we conduct ourselves. The, the, the sad truth is, I will say in my own life, that the, the, the reality of his return becomes backseat sometimes. And we get comfortable in this earth. I will leave you with this illustration of this. I, 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 somebody shared this on Facebook, and, I, and it was a wonderful message by, by Dwight Pentecost. Dwight Pentecost was a, was a phenomenal believer who, who wrote many books, a scholar. He's with the Lord now, but 
He, here he was in, 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 in his elder years at Dallas Seminary. And Dallas Seminary, him being a, a tenured professor and, and retiring uh, emeritus professor, they, they said, hey, listen, uh, Dwight, we're going to give you an apartment in the school. You can just live there for the rest of your life, free of charge. No, don't worry about it. Just live there. And he, and, he, and he took it from the Lord and he lived there. And after he was there for a couple months, he, he said in this story, he said, the president of the college came to one of his classes and said, how are you doing, Brother Dwight? Oh, I'm doing great. How's the apartment? Oh, it's doing great. He goes, I, I love to chat with you. I'm busy, but I'll come see you at your apartment sometime. Dwight Pentecost says, those words changed his life forever. For he said the very next morning, when he got up and he left his bed unmade, he said, hold on. The president of the university may be coming by. I shouldn't leave my bed undone. And so he made his bed. And after eating a bowl of of cereal, he put it in the sink. And he was thinking about leaving, but, but, but he was halted in his steps and said, but if the president of the university comes and sees me, and there's dirty dishes in the, in the sink. I, I, I can't have him see that. This is the president of the university. He, he's given me this place to be a steward of it. And he said every single day, every single moment, he was captivated by the fact that the president of the university may stop by. And he jokes about it and he says, well, he actually did, never came by. But he reminded himself, he he drew, he said, but that that is me and the Lord. Is the Lord not coming for his people? Is he not going to return? Why do we not live in such a way? Why do we get comfortable with the things of this world? Why do we want to just lounge around and be lazy? Do we want to be ashamed that he's coming? Or do we want to rejoice that he's coming? The eminency of His coming. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You. We thank You, Lord, that You uh, you equipped Your people. Lord, you, you, you sent the Helper to Your saints to be the power, to be the source of your work. Lord, without him we are helpless, Lord. Lord, help us to, to, to grasp onto these truths. Help us to hold on to them, Lord. And help it to change who we are, to change our lives. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.